I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro here. So as I'm looking around the world on this wonderful afternoon we have here together, and I'm trying to figure out of all the things that I'm outraged about, because there's a lot, there's a lot going on, uh, where, do, where would I start? So I think, I think today we'll start with a little, a little less, um, I don't know, angry kind of things, and we'll talk more about, in general, what's going on in the country, politics-wise, culturally-wise, that kind of thing. So one of the first things that we're seeing right off the bat is uh, Kirsten Cinema. She's an interesting person and political individual. She is from Arizona, and she seemed a little more conservative, even though she's a Democrat. Uh, she vote, voted with Joe Manchin quite a few times to prevent some of the bigger pieces of legislation that President Biden wanted to run with, uh, although eventually they, they were passed. Uh, but the reality was she kept holding back a little, like Manchin did. Now, Manchin has the same kind of a problem, I think, as her. Uh, the state is getting more and more conservative. We know in West Virginia, it seems to be much more conservative. And for him to survive another term when an election comes up, he may have to flip his position, become a Republican, or be a very, very uh, blue dog Democrat, I think as they used to call him, very conservative Democrat, if he's going to win re-election yet again. He, he's, I don't want to say he's snaky, you know, but I think I got fooled by him. I thought he was doing the right thing and that, you know, maybe historically he stayed a Democrat because it was probably, he's, he'd always been a Democrat, whatever. And then he turned around, he voted for things that he said he wouldn't and you know, he hasn't helped us. He hasn't flipped over and jumped over to the Republican side to save his country. He could do that if he looked at a bigger picture. Because they're always talking about the Joe Manchin running for president. Joe Manchin running for president. Well, he's, he's got no chance because he's, he ticked off the Democrats by being conservative or almost conservative. And he's ticked off the conservatives by not being conservative enough. Uh, so unless he jumps parties, I don't think he's got any chance at anything uh, other than senator from West Virginia. And even that is a little bit iffy at the moment. But this Kirsten Cinema, she has declared herself an independent, separated herself from the Democrat Party, though she still caucuses with them for House uh, assignments and whatnot, which I think that's mildly good uh, that she stepped away. Again, she's another one. Uh, she's got these these tendencies that are, are more pro-American, more conservative, that she should really consider just jump the fence, become a, uh, a Republican and save your country, right? Get it away from the hands of these progressive uh, people that are trying to socialize everything and, and destroy our nation, destroy our traditions and all of that. If you want to do the right thing, come all the way over, come over to the other side, come across the rainbow and come and see the pot of gold on this side where where we do traditional things, where we think about people, where we love everyone. We want everybody in the big tent. But at the same time, uh, we want to make sure that we keep America strong as America should be. So I saw Kirsten Sinema and I thought her, her actions recently, apparently she flipped the bird, the old middle finger, the old hi, how are you, uh, to Ron Klain, who I guess he's the outgoing uh, official on the Biden team. Because she says, Mr. President, you got to come to this border. 
Now, that's a whole nother conversation, but here we have one of the biggest tragedies going on in our nation's history, this open border with the suffering that's going on, the millions of people pouring across the border, the thousands of people on the terror watch list that are coming across, the, the million or so gotaways, we have no idea who they are. This huge problem, and the media says not a word about it. They won't show it. They won't demand the president go down there. Where's all the crying people? Where's all the crying politicians? Where's the AOC who was sniffling and crying like, like an idiot uh, down there? Oh, they got babies in, in cages when they didn't have babies in cages. They were holding cells built by Obama and Joe Biden, right? Where are they down there now to, uh, to be crying over the, the plight of these poor people who are, who are coming? I believe most of them are coming for a better life, uh, but they're, they're slipping under defense. They're getting through. They're not doing it the right way. And that's the problem that people have, that conservatives have. Nobody cares that they're from South America. If they're good and decent people and they can offer something to our country and this is a better life, do it the right way and come on in like everyone else has done. That's all people are asking for. To turn this an argument into a racial argument is nonsense. You know, this, this whole throwing everything back to race, you, you, you don't want it because you hate, because you hate is ridiculous. There are people that hate on both sides of the aisle, I'll tell you that. But that is not the, 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 the major influence it has on people. I hate, I hate those people. I don't want them coming here. No, we want people to come here and do it the right way. We want people to come here and be able to take care of themselves. We want people to come here and have the skill sets that America needs so that we can grow into the future. Our future is under threat right now from the Chinese and the Russians. They are trying to supplant America as the greatest, most powerful nation on the planet. And they're doing it slow and steady. Now, recently we talked about this. The, the reason that this is happening is because we have weakness in the White House. We have weakness in the party that's in charge. We have weakness in the, uh, the philosophies. Uh, I, I heard someone say, and I, and I hate to not give credit where credit is due. I just can't remember who said it. But they were talking about this saying, the Chinese and the Russians are planning to overtake the world they're building bases. They have a bigger military. The Chinese have the greatest standing army on the whole planet. They're spending billions of dollars to upgrade uh, their equipment. They're flying balloons all over the United States. And we're sitting here worried about what pronouns we're going to call each other in the army. Now, these pronouns might be important to people. I get that. They, they feel they're, they want to be treated a certain Okay, well, we can work that out. But do we have to do that in the military? The military, as the great Rush Limbaugh used to say, is to break things and kill people. Uh, we need a powerful, strong military that can stand up for America when we need her to be stood up for. And it's getting closer and closer to that time. So Kirsten Cinema, Joe Manchin, come on over, do the right thing, even if you are not full-scale, full-throated conservative Republicans. If your tendency is pro-America to do the right thing for your constituents, come on over and be a voice for good. At least use your vote for the good of the country so that we can wrestle this stuff back. Now, then we have a, we have a Congress that can, can do something. You know, the, the Republicans are trying to do the right thing, it looks like, uh, in the House. Now we got to get the Senate back and then the presidency, uh, if they will actually do it. Now, there's my caveat. How many people out here are like me who have been disappointed by our Republican side over and over and over again? Not only do they say they're going to do one thing and then don't do it when they get into power, uh, but they, they do things and they do them half-assed. They don't do them full-throated. They don't go all the way. I like Jim Jordan. 
I like uh, I like a bunch of these people that are there now that are they're trying to do the right thing, but we need to make sure they push hard, right? And that's the only way we're going to be able to save our country and prepare for the onslaught of what's coming towards us uh, from the Russians and the Chinese. Well, we're worried about how do we call people, what names do we use, what pronouns do we use for them? That is a social construct, right? That's something we should we, we should worry about in our social studies, and we should worry about that in our daily lives to make sure we respect everyone and help people to feel comfortable and live their life as they should or whatever. But in the military, that should be about, uh, you know, we are red, white, and blue, and we're here to protect America. So I wanted to, you know, just, just ask her to do the right thing. All right, now, I had a call today from a large agency here in the United States of America. Now, one of the programs that I teach that really has become very, very popular, uh, I'm teaching it all across the country now, is called Pre-Employment Background Investigations. Now, in my case, it is for pre-employment background investigations of law enforcement officers. You know, how do we pick and choose the best possible people to become law enforcement officers, people that we can trust to go out into our communities, that we give a gun, a badge, a car, and authority to enforce the laws of our nation? And how can we find the right people that will go out there and do the right thing by the community, make sure they do good policing, solid policing, uh, fair policing, just policing, all these things that everybody wants, no matter where you are. Well, this agency that called me, they're, they're quite large, actually. They're having the same problem that most other law enforcement agencies are having right now. They have a limited pool of candidates to choose from. People do not want to go into law enforcement anymore, or at least the numbers are very, very limited compared to what they once were. When I, when I went out for for my job in law enforcement, there were three positions open. This was the year 1986. There were three police jobs open uh, in a department of about 70 officers. And I think there was 400 candidates showed up for those three positions. And everyone tried really hard, everyone took the test or whatever. Uh, I was one of the three. I was very happy, uh, satisfied that I got the position and I loved my career in law enforcement. A couple of years later, the economy had really taken off. Uh, you know, the, we were in the boom of the Reagan glory years, and people could get jobs elsewhere that made a ton of money. You know, they didn't need a solid, regular uh, job like law enforcement, which is good for, you know, your 25 or 30 years, and you get your pay, you get your health care. Now people had options to make lots of money doing other things. And we saw we had six job openings. And instead of having a 1,000 people show up like we anticipated, I think we maybe had a hundred because the economy was so good. People were saying, Hey, I'll take it. I'll do a different job. I don't want to be a cop and work weekends and nights and, you know, carry a gun and have to go maybe get killed on my job. I'll do something else. So the, the number of people went down over the years, uh, as the law enforcement pay scale, especially the Northeast, uh, and on the West coast has gone up. Uh, now you're seeing, you, you saw for years, many, many people trying to get into the profession. Well, in the last, I don't know, couple of years, two, three years, four years, we have seen the attack on law enforcement, the uh, derision around law enforcement, the defund the police, hate the cops. The cops are the problem in, the, in, in communities, right? Not the criminals, not the murderers, not the rapists, not the thieves. They're not the problem. Uh, the cops are the problem. And basically, we've gone after our officers for doing their jobs. They are concerned that, hey, I can get indicted. I can lose my pension, lose my house. I might go to jail for doing my job. 
And then, of course, the people that don't know what they're talking about turn around and go, well, we'll do your job and don't kill anybody. Don't just run around and kill people for no reason. You won't lose your job. Uh, and that's not what cops do. And that's sickening and disgusting for people who think like that. Police officers not run around looking for someone to kill uh, because they hate them and they want to, this is my chance to kill somebody. That's, that is so ridiculous. Uh, it, it's, it's almost beyond compare. It's almost like worrying about things in the military other than the military to think things like that. All right, so anyway, this class, this pre-employment background class, the, this large, large agency reached out and said, listen, here's the problem. We have a need for a lot of officers to come on for sheriff's department, police agencies, uh, county police, state police. We're looking for cops everywhere. And their agency does the background investigations for all those potential candidates. They said, the problem is maybe we need a thousand officers statewide. Uh, and we have 800 candidates, 900 candidates coming out. And the candidates that are coming out are not necessarily the best quality individual you would want to be law enforcement. So they said, we're trying to figure out how do we better do these background investigations? What are the keys to a good background investigation? And they asked me, hey, Lieutenant Joe, can you help us? And yes, Lieutenant Joe can help you. Um, this has been, like I said, one of the most popular courses that I've created over the last, it's got to be five, six years. I came up with this six, seven, maybe seven years ago because I saw the need for hiring really high quality individuals uh, for the job. Now, what I tell them, one of the first things that I tell everyone when they come to this class, because the people that come uh, are normally um, the people who are going to be doing investigations back in their agency. They're the ones going to be checking on the candidates and, and doing the background. Now, when you go for a job, what, what, is, what, what do you do? You fill out what? An application, right? So they fill out an application and they hand you the application. And you normally in that application, there'll be a place for, please list three references that we can speak to about you. And what do you think those references say about the candidate? No matter who the candidate is. She is the greatest person on the world. Be an awesome officer. He is unbelievable. He will make a fantastic law enforcement. That's what they say. They say all good things about you. So is that the place really to look? Now, of course, you talk to them. You want to say hi to them. You want to get their opinion of the individual. Why do you think they picked you as a reference? Uh, usually you find out that they're really good friends. They're a relative. They're, they're someone who, who, who knows them and ha maybe has some gravitas in the community. Uh, so that would be, hey, that would be a good person to be uh, someone to speak up for me, right? That's a good idea. But that's not where we find out who somebody really is. So the things that I try and teach people to do is the number one thing is this. This is the number one rule in, in the modern world. We don't care about anything about a person other than are they a good and decent person and are they capable of doing the job? Nothing else matters. And I, and I, I, I pound that point home constantly throughout the course because it doesn't matter where somebody came from. It doesn't matter their race, their creed, their religion. It doesn't matter who they love. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. What matters is, are they a good and decent person and can they do the job, right? So that's the, that's the number one rule. And I, I start out with the applications and I say, now take a look at your application. When was the last time your application was updated? When's the last time people put some time into it? Because I got to tell you, having seen dozens and dozens of people's applications doing this class over the years. Some of them are really outdated. They are from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Oh, Lieutenant Joe, we updated ours in uh, 1994. Well, 
let me tell you, uh, a lot has gone on in the world, a lot of understanding, a lot of enlightenment, a lot of change since 1994. Uh, and what I say is go through your application line by line and make sure that it is a professional, up-to-date, modern application. No trick questions, no trying to find out things about people's lives that have nothing to do with whether or not they are what? A good and decent person, and can they do the job? And the other thing that I tell them is if you don't list uh, properly in your announcement for the job, now this goes for anybody out there, any of you out there that have a business, a company, an agency that's not law enforcement, this is really all the same for you. You want good and decent people that can do the job and we don't care about anything else, right? So when I tell them this, I say, you got to understand what are the areas that we can look to to understand who somebody is. So first of all, their references are going to be people that like them, right? So we can find out from the, re I usually use the references and say, well, how do you, how do you know the candidate? How do you know uh, Lieutenant Joe? Oh, we went to high school together. Oh, you did? We on sports? Yeah, we were sports guys. We did that. We played music together. Oh, that's great. Who did you hang around with? What do you mean? Well, who else did you hang around with besides you? And then they give you a few more names. Oh, do you have contact with any of those people? I'd like to go speak to them. Oh, well, now you're going to talk to people from high school. Maybe you might find out some things about high school that the reference maybe wasn't involved in or doesn't know about. Right? Same thing for college. Where, where, where what'd you go to college with? You, oh, you were a college buddy? And who was in your car? Were you in a frat? Who was in the frat? Who was the president of the frat? Whatever it is. So we have to go beyond the simple references. We need an updated application that makes sure it's professional and correct and doesn't ask stupid questions that don't have nothing to do with the job or the ability of the person. And number two, go past the references. So when I talked to this agency, one of their concerns was that they don't have uniformity across their entire agency. Right? All these different groups investigate different they all have different skill sets. They're all looking at different things for the application. And all of that is a problem. Everything should be uniform. We should have an understanding of what's the purpose of this background investigation. What are we trying to find out? Uh, and how are we making our decisions You know about candidates? This is somebody you're going to give a gun and a badge and unbelievable authority to go out into our different communities and enforce laws. You want to make sure they are good and decent people that will do the right things to protect and serve the community, right? So it was it was really a very interesting conversation. And they're they're gonna be on board, I think. I'm gonna be training enough fifty to hundred of their uh, their agents, their officers and other people in the company. And I say that the same thing to you. If you're a company, any organization that has to bring people in, you have to understand what do you need to find out about the potential candidates? What is what is it we really want to don't we want to know about their integrity? What's that mean though, integrity? Do you have integrity? What's your integrity, right? Well, you have to define integrity. Then you have to ask questions that bring out uh, the individual's experience with using their integrity. When was a time that you were in a situation that you could have taken advantage of, uh, but you did or you didn't? Tell me about that, right? So you wanna have these things laid out in front. So some of the things we should be looking at for anyone who wants to work in our businesses or our police departments or anywhere, fire departments, uh, doctor's office, uh, warehouse, anywhere, you want to understand, do they understand what right and wrong really means? What's their experience with it? How about adversity? Don't we, we have to all have to be able to overcome adversity? So you need to ask questions about, hey, when's the time you had something really bad happen to you and how did you handle it, right? That's a really good one. 
Um, I know we need people that can, can communicate really well. A lot of agencies, a lot of jobs require us to be able to orate, to speak properly. In law enforcement, of course we do, right? You have to speak on the stand. You have to speak to people all the time. You have to communicate with lots of different kinds of people. So communication is very important. Uh, how about writing? Do you have to write? Well, cops write reports. Doctors write reports. Lots of people have to write reports. And you have to be able to be articulate and get to the point and have a good narrative and all that stuff, right? So one of the techniques we use that I teach people is that I'll start talking to whoever the candidate is. doesn't matter the job, whatever they are. And they'll say, uh, do you really like baseball? Oh, I do. I really like baseball. What do you like about baseball? And they start to tell you, oh, I like the smell of the grass. I like the, you know, the hitting of the bat. I like the sunshine. I like a hot dog and a beer. I like whatever it is. Then I slide them a piece of paper. And I say, here, do me a favor. Here, just take 10 minutes. Take that pen and that piece of paper. And just write down for me, um, I don't know. What is the top five reasons you would love to go to a baseball game of your favorite team? Here you go. And I hand them the paper. I say, I'll be back in a minute. I'm going to get a coffee. You want one? And I leave. Now, the purpose of doing this is that this person now is put on the spot, right? So they have to think quickly on their feet. They were just given an assignment, but about something that they're supposedly like. They just told me they like baseball. They really like baseball. Now, I want them to write four or five paragraphs about what they like about baseball. And what I'm looking for there is can they actually write? Can they write a concise set of five paragraphs? Can they spell properly? Do they use grammar correctly? Do they understand sentence structure? Do they make sense? Is there a timeline in what they're writing, right? All of these things that are important to all of us when we have employees that have to write things for us. So that's a, that's a really easy way to get an idea. And what I'll normally do is I'll take that piece of paper back right? Because there's two parts of communication, writing and orally, right? Speaking. So I'll take that piece of paper when they're done. I'll take a quick look at it. Okay. And then I turn it over and say, okay, now tell me what you wrote about. Explain to me what you wrote about in there. And the reason I do that is I have the paper now. I can examine that and I can see if they know how to spell. Did they use grammar in a good sense? I can see all that. But at the same time, now I want them to say to me, to talk, to speak, to write, to, to describe their thoughts and their, so I can see how they speak in public, how they talk, how their, how their mind works. So this is an important thing for all of us. So if anybody needs help with any of that, you can reach out to Lieutenant Joe. I'm, I'm here. Uh, you know, you can reach through the station. You can reach out uh, and say hi to me. And if you need help with uh, any kind of a program like that, I can help you. But I'm happy to do this because this is important. We need quality people everywhere, right? And what does that mean, quality? What does that mean, quality? They got to be a certain, no, it means they have to be a good and decent person and they have to be able to do the work that we need them to do. So uh, that's what I try and help people do because there's lots of different people. You don't have to have a master's degree or a college degree. You could be a high school uh, graduate or you could have almost gotten your high school. You got a GED. But if you're a good, decent person and you can do the job people need, there are requirements that go with it. And you, you want to get yourself ready for that. And that's kind of what I help doing. And I, I do enjoy doing that. Uh, really very important. So what else? Can we talk about for a minute here before this first half of this uh, of this program disappears on us into the ether? Well, I'm going to tell you uh, about Healthy Cell real quick. I want to mention that because it's on my mind. Um, I ordered another another box of the um, Healthy Cell uh, because I, I take them every day and they really have helped me. Um, I like the immune boost especially. Um, 
I know the guys in the neighborhood have been taking the uh, focus factor, the memory factor and stuff, and we haven't had them on in a couple of weeks. There's been some personal things going on again for people, and just the timing wasn't right to get them into the studio. But they've been taking it, and I text everybody, and they're taking it regularly, and uh, they got some stuff to tell us, so I'm going to try and get them in here very soon. We can hear an update on how that's doing for them. I know it's doing very well for Bill, and we tease Bill about being the oldest member of our neighborhood group, but... Uh, Bill is a very smart man. He's a very good and decent man, and uh, he he says it's helping him, but I'll let him tell you. Uh, I like the, the immune boost. It is really keeping me healthy, so if you're looking for something, go take a look at it, all right? Healthy Cell Immune Boost, excellent stuff. It's on the network here. You can find it. All right, so this is going to sound funny when we talk about health. You just talked about health, Lieutenant Joe, and now you're going to talk about the death penalty. Yes. You know, the death penalty is one of those things one of those societal things that we have to think about, we have to talk about. Is it right to take someone's life? Is it right for the state to do? Because really the state's doing it in our name. So, you know, is it right to do that? And religiously, when people look at religion, I mean, most religions tell you, you know, you can't execute somebody. I mean, some religions tell you execute everybody, but um, others pretty much tell you you shouldn't kill. Killing is not good. Even even criminals shouldn't be killed. And we talked about this. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Roman Catholic, and I know there's the concept of the just war, where you have to go to war and you have to fight evil, to vanquish evil. And the church has said that uh, the death penalty, it generally shouldn't be used. But if you have someone who's a danger to society, and that's the only thing you can do to protect society, then it's it's acceptable. So that that's an interesting thing. And the reason I bring it up is because the state of Idaho is now toying around with the idea of uh, going to the firing squad because they said it is a reliable uh, way to conduct an execution that's uh, readily available. You can buy bullets and you can get uh, people to shoot at somebody as opposed to all the trouble that we seem to be having across the country with the uh, lethal injection. You know, that was supposed to be the humane way to take someone out. You give them a couple of drugs, you knock them out, and then off they go, you know, very calm, no blood, no, no drama, you know, the person just goes. But we're seeing that some of these drug makers, they don't like the idea that their drugs are used for death penalty, they're anti-death penalty, and they won't sell the drugs to the, to the jail or the prison or whatever. Uh, so that's a problem. It makes it more difficult. But the state of Idaho says, uh, well, we're going to try, uh, you know, uh, the firing squad. That might be the thing to do. We'll, uh, we have bullets, we have people willing to do it, and it'll be a way to uh, execute those who the state and the citizens have determined deserve execution as a punishment. Uh, think about that, though. You know, uh, Gary Gilmore in 1976 was one of the first people to uh, be killed by firing squad in many, many years in the United States. It seems to me, with all the fentanyl that's killing these people so easily, wouldn't it be easier to just uh, give these people a, uh, a shot of whatever it is you take to go to surgery? Because you don't flop around on the table in surgery, do you? No, you go down, you go out, you relax, and then fill them full of fentanyl. And then off they go. Uh, and that, that sounds you know, uh, very cavalier, but fentanyl's killing hundreds of thousands of people every couple of years here in the United States. Whoever the people are being executed, give them the, the anesthetic so they go down and out. Now they're nice and calm and fill them up with fentanyl and then they're gone. Uh, I don't see what the uh, I don't see what the big deal is here to not be able to do that. Well, we'll be back in a minute with more chasing justice. <music> 
these days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. America out loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. All right, everybody, welcome back to Chasing Justice. You know, the continuing deterioration of our society, and, and that's what it is. We're seeing a deterioration of our society all around us in, in many different areas, not just uh, political, although that's one of the most obvious signs when we're seeing ourselves devolve into this this useless mess. The thought that... Other nations are going to rise up past America, I guess, is inevitable uh, in the history of mankind. You know, no, no uh, society remains at the top of the hill for a long time. But what is it that's going to surpass us? We're going to be surpassed by uh, tyrannies. We're going to be surpassed by uh, China and, you know, their, their evil cousin, Russia. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to see these kind of despots rise to prominence again in the world and then the, the, you're going to see a change we're going to go back to the default position of humanity which i've talked about for many many times is to live under a a tyrannical dictator because that's that seems to be what humanity is is most used to you know i guess the uh, the strongest will determine what goes on and in the case of modern world the strongest are the people that can wield the most power that can hurt people the most so as I'm looking around, I'm saying, what other signs do I see of a devolving uh, society? Well, not only the, the weakness of our president and of, of the, the ideas, these progressive ideas that are 
so antithetical to what America should stand for. Yeah, 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 sure. There were some bad things back in the day, but we work on them. We talk about that. And anyone who denies that we're, we're not getting better all the time uh, as far as you know how we deal with each other, you're missing the point. What I'm talking about is the devolving of our, of our culture and our customs and, and how things how things go in our nation that used to be taken for granted. Sure, we always had different ideas about things. We always thought, you know, that maybe we should, you know, do different things, do things differently. But the reality was we all kind of believed the same stuff. You know, mom, apple pie, and America, red, white, and blue. And because we don't do that anymore, because that's not really there. I, I watch some of these... Um, these little interviews they do with these uh, young people on college campuses and you, you hear them and they, first of all, they have no idea about history, nothing. They're completely, they ask them, uh, who was in world war two? And they say, um, uh, the South, they have no idea what world war two is. They have no idea about historical reality. And we see how our media plays into this and how they, uh, devalue our history. Just, I heard, I heard this knucklehead uh, on one of the local news programs, and there's a park in New York. Um, yeah, I think it's Westchester County in New York, and it's named the Donald J. Trump Park because it's 450-something acres, and Donald Trump donated the land to that county, to New York, so that they could have a public park. Now, 450 acres right now, it's, it's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars, but he donated it so that they could have this park. And of course, there's another uh, one of these nitwit politicians that comes along and says, we got to take the name off that park. We got to. And basically, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. But here's here's was his concern about maintaining the name Donald J. Trump Park. He says, first of all, we don't want a park named after uh, this president uh, who uh, who's twice impeached president and who uh, led an insurrection to tear our country apart where five officers were killed. Now, this idiot is still espousing things that are not true. Five officers were not killed in the riot uh, on January 6th. And it was. It was a riot, a riot at the Capitol building. There's no doubt. People uh, stormed up to the Capitol building and broke windows and did things they shouldn't have done. But it, there was no five officers killed. There was one officer who died later in the day from a stroke a health, a health issue had nothing to do with what went on that day. And for this, this, this idiot to still be espousing, well, first of all, let's break apart what he had to say. Uh, this twice impeached president. Yeah, he wasn't legitimately impeached. Now, when I say he wasn't legitimately impeached, I don't mean they didn't follow the rules for impeachment. They did. The reasons that they came up with it, you know, Nancy Pelosi and her crew, they, because they were going to, they, they just wanted to impeach him. They, they, they started with this um, anti-Trump uh, rhetoric and this, this delusions and these, this craziness over Donald Trump. They were the ones, uh, what do they call it, Donald Trump syndrome, right, or whatever, that they had this really, really bad early on. And we're going to impeach, we're going to impeach. So they corrupted the process that was put in place that if someone really did commit a serious crime, in the office, we could remove them. You have to have that mechanism to remove uh, someone who is detrimental, right? But this guy, they, they, they just lost their minds and they came up with anything. They corrupted and manipulated the process to impeach him. Now, 
is that going to be the normal? See, and this is what they've done. This is what the progressives have done. Uh, it's not that sometimes they don't have some good ideas. I, you know, I think, hey, a stop clock is right twice a day. So look at it that way. But the thing is that they use their power negatively. They use their power to ob obtain their goals instead of uh, doing what they, they should do through the through the voting booth, right? If you don't like Donald Trump, you have another election and out he goes. Well, we had another election and out he went. Now, of course, you can argue that there were a lot of improprieties in the uh, of the election, and there were. There's no doubt about it. Have we come to an understanding of what happened there? I don't know that we have yet, but we're past that now. We're heading on to the next one. But this 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 guy repeats this this mantra, this twice impeached president who started an insurrection. First of all, he didn't start an insurrection. When you say, I know you're going to go over there and protest. I know you're going to go there. You're going to go peacefully and have your voice heard. How many, how many times did we hear that in the summer of 2020? Did we hear go peacefully and have your voice heard? Or do we have people like our vice president, Kamala Harris, telling people, well, the riots and the burning is not going to stop and it shouldn't stop and it shouldn't stop. That is an incitement for people that are, are doing violence to continue doing violence, right? Telling people at a protest who don't, who are uncomfortable with what happened, who don't believe uh, what happened, who had concerns to say, go there and peacefully let them hear your voice. That is not inciting a riot. And when people went up there, the people who, who decided to do those things, to break the windows, storm the Capitol, and they did fight with cops, and I'm not for fighting with cops. I think it's uh, it was the wrong thing to do. And if you assaulted an officer, you should be charged with assault of an officer. You don't assault the police. Uh, pro uh, you know, protesting is one thing. I say that all the time. Protesting is one thing, but you don't get to be violent. And anybody that was violent that day should be prosecuted for being violent. But the reality was there were not five officers killed. That's a lie that has been told since day one. Our president, President Biden, has repeated that lie over and over. And where's the media to do? Well, let's see. We keep hearing this lie. Let's look. Well, there, there was no five officers killed. Unfortunately, Officer Swetnick uh, had a stroke later in the afternoon and he died. That was very tragic for him and for his family. But we're still hearing he was bashed over the head with a fire extinguisher. That's what killed him. I think Tucker Carlson, by getting those uh, the videos for inside the Capitol, showing us that there were not people running around with flagpoles, stabbing uh, politicians and stabbing the cops to show us what really happened inside, I thought was was very good for everybody in the country to see, you know, for, because the way it's been described, it sounded like um, like if you could imagine inside of a beehive. Right. If you if you ended up inside of a beehive, it would be all this buzzing around and stinging and all this attacking. And and there was none of that. So that puts a lie to that myth, uh, you know, twice impeached. Yeah, he was twice impeached and it was B.S. impeachments. They were political tools using the, the uh, things available to them to try and get rid of uh, President Trump. Right. Instead of uh, doing it at the ballot box. So I, I found that to be some evidence, evidence. Just just what I just heard in the last day or so of this continual de-evolution of our society, this coming apart of the society, um, worrying about things that we should concern ourselves with. We have to worry about other people and how they feel and their concerns about life. Of course we do. But those are social things. 
We don't deal with that through, through our, uh, our courts and our government. We deal with that through our, our society, and we try and convince people that it is a better way to look at things, right? So the Supreme Court recently came out with a decision, an, an eight-to-one decision, right? You never hear of such things like that. It's, uh, it's very rare that the court all comes together at once. And what they were coming together on was a lower court ruling um, on abortion, another abortion kind of a ruling. Because even though they came out and said it all goes back to the states, right? That's what uh, to overturning Roe versus Wade was. Now it all goes back to the states. And if your state wants to have abortion, then that's what your people vote for. And then you have abortion available. If you're in a state where you don't think abortion should take place, then you vote no and you're government in your state says no. It's it's ruled by the people. It's really how it's supposed to be. So this eight to one vote, and it was uh, Katanji Brown, the newest uh, Supreme Court justice, she was the lone dissenter. And the vote was about uh, this lower court ruling. And basically there was a court clerk, and I, I, I don't remember the state. Let me see if I can think of the state. But it was about parental consent. So in this uh, state, there was a law that says um, if you're a minor and you want to have an abortion, you can go to the court and see if you can get the court to give you permission to have an abortion without your parents' knowledge, right? So that, that, that's a fundamental. Isn't that a fundamental we're fighting in this country? That's another example of how we're devolving, where, no, the parents shouldn't have any stay over their children. It should be what the progressive uh, wing of, of uh, our, our friends on the left's party say, People should be able to do. Parents should be cut out of the loop when it comes to certain things about their children that that come in in contrast to their views and their beliefs about the world. So we see this over and over. Um, this is this is what all of this consternation is. Parents have to have a say in what goes on with their children. It is their children, right? These are not other people's children. They're not the government's children. These are you know my kids. My kids might want to do something I disagree with. And that's okay that they want to do something I disagree with. But as their parent, I need to know about it. And then maybe I can talk to the child. Maybe I can reason through it with the child. Maybe I can think about the potential consequences uh, down the road for the child. This, uh, this, this lower court had said there was a... Um, it was a, a, I'm trying to think of what her position was. There was a woman who found out this young girl wanted to have an abortion. And she says, well, I have to tell your parents. And she told the parents. And now, now they wanted to sue this clerk for following the law. And these two lower courts basically said, yeah, she shouldn't have done that. And therefore, she can be sued. Well, the Supreme Court, <clears throat> eight to one, overturned that and said, no, that's ridiculous. The law is uh, you can go to court to get an abortion, but the parents have to be notified. So this clerk notified the parents, and uh, they, then they wanted to be able to sue her. So people are not satisfied with that decision. Um, we knew for a long time people had hoped that it would come. And then it finally came, and Roe versus Wade was overturned. But now people are going around the edges. They're trying to find ways to, to undo it, as opposed to just going to the ballot box, make your case to the people in your state, and say, hey, listen, we think this is a legitimate thing to do. We think this is uh, okay. And convince people. And then vote for the people that are going to install abortion in your state. That's It's really very simple. It's not hard at all. Unfortunately, when there are people who see it differently, 
and they're in the majority and they say, no, that's not right. Well, that is a consequence for some people. I, I will give you that. It is a consequence. But what is the consequence? It's a baby. It's a beautiful little baby. It's not like, well, I have cancer and I want to get this cancer out of me. Uh, and you're not letting me, you're, you're forcing me to die. No, We're, they're protecting the life of a child uh, so that that child can grow and live as it's supposed to. Now, I get it. There's need sometimes for medical abortion. Of course there is. You know, there's the life of the mother. Then you have to make a decision. Who And at that point, if the mother wants to live, then and, and it is a medical real thing where she really will uh, die, then of course the mother has a right to make that decision to live. Uh, and that's something she does in consultation with her family maybe. I don't know, her spouse or significant other, whatever. And they talk about it and they say, listen, this is terrible. We don't want to lose the baby, but we don't want to lose you. Right. And that's a legitimate um, that's a legitimate thing to do. But to see the Supreme Court uh, eight to one uh, side together and say, hey, that's it's kind of shocking to think that they could get an eight to one decision on just about anything, especially around abortion. That doesn't uh, absolutely say, hey, it's, it's great. Let's do it. Right. I was just really surprised. But parental consent is the is the key to that that decision. The parents have to be involved in their kids' lives. We see what happens when parents are not involved in these major decisions. Because what happens is down the road, people don't always want to talk about this consequence, but when you're young and you, you have thoughts in your head, no matter what those thoughts are, um, you, you only have such, so much limited experience in life, so much limited experience in in, your, in who you are as a person. You don't always know who you are and who you're going to turn out to be when you're young. And making life-changing decisions at that age without consulting with someone who cares about you, without consulting with a parent who can maybe talk you through it, uh, give you some, some experience uh, things. The reality is that people grow up later on and they regret the things that they've done. Now, you can spread that out, obviously, to multiple conversations going on in our country right now. And I'm not choosing to get into that. I'm simply saying the reality is that parents have to be involved with their kids. If the kids want to do something, the parents should be advised so that the parent can do what they're supposed to do. Counsel their child, talk to their child, help their child, right? And the state shouldn't get in the way of that. So I was happy to see this, uh, this decision. Another one of the devolvements we see going on is there was another school shooting recently um, in Colorado, in, uh, in Denver, I believe it was. There was a kid who went into the school and shot two administrators. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, it turns out that the administrators have survived the shooting. Uh, the young man who did this uh, took his own life. He shot the two administrators, ran out of the school, and the officers, police found his body uh, a short distance away, and he had taken his own life, which is a terribly tragic and sad situation. But it is part of the pattern of those who commit these kind of shootings, whether they're kids or adults, is that th th there's something, something that's bothering them, something they can't handle, and they have to vent it. They vent it with violence. Now, the fact that this story was only on the news for one day uh, and mostly because they were still searching for the kid. The kid ran out of the school and the police were looking for him and the neighborhood in Denver was you know, in lockdown or in, in uh, shelter in place because they were afraid they didn't know what this kid was going to do. When we look at this, 
One of the things that we're finding out about this young man was that there was a violence plan in place. Apparently, he was a violent kid who had made threats, who had done all kinds of things, and they had a violence plan. When he came to school every day, he had to be searched. And I guess it was an agreed-to practice between his parents and guardians and the schools and the police that when he came to school, he'd be searched uh, because of the threats that he made. And apparently he'd been searched many times before. Well, this time he walks in and I guess he was, I think he said he was in the central office, probably where he had to come every day or he's escorted to or whatever. And when they were going to go to search him, that's when he produced a weapon and shot the two administrators and then ran out of the building. Now, let's think about that for a second. You got a kid making threats, so many threats or such serious threats that he has to be searched every day coming into the school so he doesn't hurt himself or other people in the building. The question would be, why is he still in the building? Why would they let that young man into the building? There should be a different place for that young man. He should be homeschooled. Uh, Why is he endangering all those other people, all those other children, innocent people, when you know he's potentially violent and he walks in one day with a weapon and he shoots two administrators. Now, I don't know if they searched him every single day, if that was the protocol, or if they searched him every once in a while, but he brought a loaded weapon to school, obviously with an intent to do harm. Maybe he would have shot 15 people. And when they were gonna search him, he realized, okay, they're gonna catch me with the gun, so I better do what I'm gonna do now, and out he goes. And then he killed himself. He took his own life. So here's this troubled youth, We're going to call him that for the time being, troubled youth, who ends up hurting, almost killing two innocent people, and then killing himself. Tragedy all around. But again, another devolvement of our society. We are not not protecting ourselves from a lot of the dangers that are out there in in this, this push to who oh, oh let's be more fair about everything let's let's not uh, you know ostracize people let's not uh, you know marginalize people let's let's let everyone do. and this is where this is another area that I see that we're this is a bad mistakes we're making here you know in, in an attempt to assuage the feelings of some people we're putting all of us in danger and we put that person in danger because maybe they're not capable of making a clear decision, and especially for young people. You know, there's that regret later on, why'd you do this? We see this in, in lots of examples. Now, I could tell you, when it comes to the, the topic of, of abortion, there are entire groups uh, that have been put together for women and men who decided uh, at some point when they were young that they would have an abortion. But we need to have this abortion um, you know, they made a decision, the man and the woman together, or a guy and the girl, boyfriend and girlfriend, we should have this abortion, we don't need to have a baby now. And then later in life, they regret that they did that. As they become more mature, as they become adults, as they see the world differently and more clearly than in the, the drama of youth. Uh, you know, youth can be can be very dramatic, you know, your youth and, and what you're going through and who you're trying to figure out who you are and what your life means. and. It can seem so life-ending that you have this baby and you have to take care of this baby. Well, there is responsibility that goes with that. So that's the messaging that should come through early years in life. But my point here 
is that there are things that people can do when they're young and believe when they're young that later in life they, they grow to regret. Now, without getting into the topic completely, one of the things we're looking at is um, these young people that want to have these surgeries to change their sex, okay? Now, I can imagine it must be very, very difficult for these young people to be so upset and so confused, and I don't feel like I am who I am. I have to be something else. I can understand that. That must be very, very painful for them, and I, I have compassion for people that are going through a thing like that. But the reality is you're letting these children make these decisions in the heat of, of uh, the fog of, of youth and of trying to find themselves that later on they're going to regret what they did. And we're already seeing that. We're seeing people come out who are in their 20s and saying, listen, I had these surgeries when I was a kid. I, I was confused. I wasn't sure. It seemed like the answer. And now I'm stuck with the consequences of what I did. And I think that's the whole idea of parental notification is because, yes, you may want to do certain things. You may want to have an abortion. You may want to change your body. And you may feel very strongly about that. But the reality is at 14, 15, and 16, are you really capable of making that kind of a life-changing decision all on your own and just be supported one way? Yes, yes, your decision is good. We're going to let you do it. And we're not going to tell your parents as opposed to Explaining that to your parents, getting having your parents get um, educated on why you feel the way you feel, why you feel you, you having this baby is going to ruin your life, and then talk that out with the people that care for you. Okay, so I understand there are uh, there are some parents out there that if they found out that their daughter was pregnant, they would uh, they would beat her up for engaging in sex because they're probably some crazy religious family uh, that believes, you know, no sex before marriage and now you're pregnant. So they're going to beat the girl, right? I think that is that I think that probably does happen, but I think it's far and few between incidences where that kind of thing happens. So we're going to, we're going to damage all of these people because of the behavior of one or two people, right? So it, it, my point being, we're not thinking it through. Because one or two people might have a very bad experience telling their parents that they're, uh, that they're pregnant when they're underage. We're going to change everything so that parents are never notified. Parents never get a chance to, to make a difference, to help their child. And their child might do something that they eventually regret. And it can be very, very, very bad, uh, that regret. It can be very, very bad. I see this as part of the, the twisting and turning of where we're going. We're not thinking things through clearly. Uh, when I look on, on the world stage, you can see the weakness that we are experiencing as a nation, this devolving as a nation. The rest of the world sees. The rest of the world sees this, and we are, we are falling prey to this, this spinning uh, whirlpool of negative changes that are going on in our country, and it cannot end well. You know, look at all of this uh, stuff. So, so what's the answer, Lieutenant Joe? <clears throat> That's always the question. You, you can't come up with a problem and wag your finger at a problem and not say, how do we fix it? Well, obviously, the answer would be to, to figure out what we're not educating ourselves on, what we're not teaching our kids. What are we doing in our schools? You know, I see lots and lots of teachers and school administrators in the course of my, my business life, and they love these kids 
You know, that's the one thing that comes out. They absolutely love these kids. They really do, for the most part, the huge majority of teachers and, and administrators, people in the education world, they love these kids and they really, really want to help them. They want to advocate for them. They want them to have good lives. They want them to be who they need to be uh, and help them to grow. They absolutely do. I see it firsthand. The problem is we have these discussions where we don't decide, okay, well, that's good, but what should we be teaching them? What should we be saying across the board? What is school for? Shouldn't school be for education or should it be for social change? And that's really, I guess, the question. You know, is school something that should be used for social change or is school something to educate people? And social change takes place at home, takes place in our, in our religious facilities, takes place in our community groups. You know, why would school be the place where social change takes place? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But I know we have to understand that these things are going on as a society. We have to understand the feelings. And now, I'm not, oh, feelings. We do have to understand the feelings of people. At the same time, we have to provide good information. We have to think clearly, think our way through things clearly before we make decisions uh, that adversely affect the people of our country. So that's really what I wanted to talk about today. I wanted to talk about the, you know, the, the ongoing changes in our world, um, the, the symptoms that we have, because we all need to think about this, because hopefully there's a moment, you know, when the pendulum swings back, where we all calm down and say, okay, uh, let's all head down the same river, even if we're going to get there in different ways. But what is it we really believe in before there's nothing left to believe? All right, this is Lieutenant Joe saying, hey, be a part of the solution, my friends, not a part of the problem. We'll talk to you soon.